welcome to the official podcast of FCS Fans Nation with your hosts, Kyler Neal, Matthew Frazee, and Lawrence Smith. Twenty-four teams took the field, and now eight are gone. Sixteen have a chance to see the golden flowing rivers of beer in Frisco, Texas, and take the turf for a national championship. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the FCS Football Fans Nation podcast. I am your unbiased Bison admin, Matthew Frazee, coming to you live this morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you are catching our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have no surprises tonight. Because D-Law, Lawrence Smith, Duke Dog himself is with us, and so is Mr. Screeching Eagle, Kyler Neal. Gentlemen, are we ready to discuss the upcoming round two of the FCS playoffs? Lawrence, since you're not jumping in on us tonight, how are you doing this morning, afternoon, or evening? It, you know, it's good to be expected. <laughs> it's good for you to, to be here for the whole hour, because only 20 minutes was just not enough, man. This is going to be much better you know uh the responses that we got kind of made it seem to me like uh, our listeners have forgotten that at one point i was a constant part of this podcast and uh you know that that hurt my soul a little bit so i, I gotta do a better <laughs> job of being here every week for the entire time because people are starting to forget about me it, it was nice to know that they listened the whole time and they at some point were thinking i wonder when lawrence is going to be back because they commented very faithfully that they were happy you showed up. And Kyler, you're here as always. Sir, how are you doing today? I am good. Not Nothing too bad, so I'm excited. Awesome, guys. All right, we have just over 20 amazing questions from our FCS Football Fans Nation Facebook page. Let's kick right into them, guys. And we're not going to go in any particular order of let's recap or let's look ahead. We're just going to jump all over the place based off our members' questions. And we're going to start with Colin Sutrick right off the bat. He wants to know, guys, what first-round team has the best chance to get an upset in round two? We saw some interesting games take play. Uh, We saw a team like Villanova maybe more expected to win, get beat by Southeastern Louisiana. You saw the UNIs win. Uh, SEMO was a popular pick over Illinois State, but didn't go that way. So, Lawrence, we'll start with you, man, since we got you for the full hour, man. How do we see in the second round, do we see any seeded teams getting upended one through eight? What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, the the team that played last week with the best chance to get an upset in round two is Illinois State going down and playing Central Arkansas. I think it's a very favorable matchup for them. Um, there's a little bit of debate whether Central Arkansas should have been that eight seed over maybe a UNI or a Villanova. So that's kind of... Maybe it's it's cheating because it's the eight seed, but... I, you know, to answer the question at face value, I think Illinois State has the best chance to knock off a seeded team this week. UCA, we'll see the Southland well represented last week. Uh, Kyler, do you think that's going to be something we're going to see for an upset? UCA, Illinois State, or maybe somewhere else in the field do you see an upset of one of the seeds? What do you think? I mean, I could definitely see that wasn't one as an upset, even though I wouldn't personally consider it an upset. Um, uh, but. I actually think a majority of the teams that won in the first round could actually, you know, upset a lot of the teams in round two. 
Um, I'm actually going to go with Albany versus Montana State. So Albany finished number two in the CA. Um, you know, they had a pretty good showing against Monmouth this last week. In Montana State, they're one of those teams where they do play really strong defense, but they lack a, a you know consistent quarterback. And when you lack a consistent quarterback this in the playoffs, all you have to do is stop their run game, really, and then that team becomes very one-dimensional. And Albany has the tools to do it. I don't think they're going to be going into Montana State overwhelmed thinking that this is a big boy stadium. This is the biggest stadium they played in. You know, I, I don't think they'll have that mindset. I believe it's pretty cold up in, you know, the northern part of New York too. Maybe not as cold as Montana, but that element won't be a surprise. We saw Maine last year go into Weber State and, you know, kind of bully them around a little bit. We might be able to see that same thing with Albany and Montana State. Are you guys looking at this from a standpoint of taking like four or five factors and then determining that for like an upset occurring over a seed or not. And what I mean is I saw some good discussion on Twitter and Facebook about uh, mismatches can happen in terms of style, the venue, the weather, the team experience, and the team talent. So it, are you guys kind of bouncing those categories against these teams where like one, their styles are going to match really well, or one, the venue is going to be really difficult? How are you kind of looking at this, Kyler, for upset or not with the seeds? So I, I look at all of that. Um, I do think, you know, in the West Coast specifically, they kind of have the best elements for um, home teams, you know, outside of Sac State. They're high in elevation. They have large stadiums. It's going to be cold, snowy. And a majority of Southern teams are traveling to the West Coast into those mountain regions, which makes it really tough to upset some of them. Um, but yeah, I take all of it kind of into effect and also the level of play that the team has been showcasing towards the end of the year. Like um, even the, just this last week, Albany, they started off really slow and then put together one hell of a second half and um, they beat a really good team. Good stuff. Lawrence, Jamie Williams, a fellow James Madison fan wants to know which result from round one surprised you the most. And did anyone's play from this last weekend make you think a team could actually make a run to the semis from round one. So who surprised you the most and which of those teams do you think could make a run to the semis or if none, let me know that as well. What do you think, man? I think a lot of people probably expect us to say that Kennesaw winning was the biggest surprise um, because there's been so much talk about, you know, did Kennesaw even deserve to be in the playoffs? And, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on in a, a couple questions. Um, but that's actually not my answer because as soon as we saw Kennesaw versus Wofford, you think those teams have a very similar style. So neither one of them was really going to put up, you know, 60 points in the game. So we weren't concerned about, you know, too much of a blowout. I think I predicted last week that, you know, Wofford would win by a couple scores. Obviously I was wrong on that, but I don't really think it's too surprising that Kennesaw won. Do you see Kennesaw the, the team that, as a team that can make uh, a run or, or maybe some of the other ones? Uh, I, I think Kennesaw is probably, probably done this week. However, getting back to the question that Jamie actually once answered, I think my most surprising team this week was actually Northern Iowa. I expected them to handle... Uh, San Diego a little bit 
easier than they did. Maybe that doesn't bode well for them going into round two, but you know, their offense just needs to click more. Um, and and I thought they they would be able to against a pioneer team like uh, like San Diego. So that was surprising for me to see. Yeah, you and I's offense has kind of been their detriment all year. It's kind of been their downfall. But honestly, against a pioneer school, and we know San Diego's talented, we would expect more. I think. And you're correct on that one. That was a little surprising. We'll see if they can turn things around at South Dakota State where they already struggled. Um, Tyler, I'm going to throw the semifinal question to you, man. Do you think there's a team out of that round one that can actually go make a semifinal run now? Yeah, well, before I answer, I just have to apologize on that first question I was rambling on. And I said Albany beat Monmouth. That is not true. They beat Central Connecticut State, and I apologize. That's who I meant to say, but it, it did not come out that way. I don't even know if you guys caught it, but... I think I said mom myth on accident. Um, but yeah, for this question, no one stood out to me as kind of a semifinal team. Um, they all really have some tough road matchups from here on out. But the team that surprised me the most is probably Austin P. And it was because of their complete dismantlement of Furman. Now, there was a lot of flack saying Furman shouldn't be in the playoffs. Um, a lot of the analysts were saying, you know, they don't really have that many good wins on their resume. And they only had 71 wins because they played a couple D2 teams. But I think I just need to apologize to maybe the OVC. Um, I was saying you guys are way behind the SOCON, and the SOCON after the powers have left continue to get worse and worse every single year. And I just got to say, maybe I've been giving the SOCON a little too much credit because when Ben Schleiger asks, hey, what do you think about Austin P versus um, Furman? And what do you think about Wofford versus Kennesaw? I said, both these games are kind of 50-50 games, but I trust the SoCon more. And holy crap, did I get that wrong. So no one looks like a semifinal team who played in round one. But at the same time, Austin P was the biggest surprise just because of how easily they beat Furman. Yeah, I turned Austin P off quick into uh, midway of the second quarter because I was like, this is starting to look like a blowout. And then I came back to it and I was like, holy crap, this is a blowout. So... Um, I actually like Austin P as one of those surprise teams to to continue playing really well and possibly make the semis. I, not that I believed in them before, so I'm not going to take some sort of credit. But they beat the crap out of Furman, and you can argue Furman all you want. But now they get to go to Sacramento State, who is also playing their first playoff game ever in school history. The weather in California shouldn't be too drastically different. You know they're really hot. Um, the venue shouldn't be overwhelmingly difficult. So I, I, if I'm going to pick anybody from that first round, I actually like Austin P to make that that semifinal run because I think they could they could get through that bottom part of the bracket, which I don't think is as tough as as somewhere else where there's the James Madisons and Montanas and Weebers and things like that. So I think it's more favor, favorable for them. Uh, so Matthew, yes. do do you do you want to wait until next season's uh, first podcast when we do where we were right, where we were wrong? Or do you just want to talk about Furman now? <laughs> oh God, um, God. Let's save it for next. Let's save it for next year's because I'm actually I'm building a list this year. I didn't have a solid list last year, so that episode's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, we'll save Furman for that. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of where Matthew was wrong, as there is every. Oh, year. I got I I got a lot wrong this year, so it's all good, man. It's been it's been rough, guys. Um, but speaking of rough. Uh, we are not having a rough playoff year for the Big South, and Elijah Pierre wants to know which Big South team has the best chance to win their second-round matchup, Kennesaw State or Monmouth. 
So I'll start with you on this one, Kyler. Who do you think? Do you think Kennesaw State has a good chance to go there and beat Weber? Or do you think Monmouth has a chance to beat James Madison? Both should be extremely difficult matchups. What do you think, man? So Monmouth is overall the better team. They don't have to travel too far. The elements in terms of elevation or weather won't be a huge factor. All of that being said, though, I think Kennesaw State has the better chance to pull off an upset. Uh, Weber State will still have all the advantages over KSU. You know, it's cold. It's high in elevation. There's probably going to be snow. They're a top 10 rushing defense. All of those make for mismatches against Kennesaw State's triple option. Also, Weber State plays a triple option team almost every year in Cal Poly. But here's where I'm leaning towards Kennesaw State being maybe more likely to get that option or get that upset. I've noticed Cal Poly and Kennesaw State, they actually utilize two different types of triple option. Cal Poly utilizes their fullback a lot, and they really you know, use power. They try and control the line of scrimmage. They run right down the A-gap. They, they use that power and strength. Where Kennesaw State, they utilize their quarterback. They utilize their speed, their athleticism. So it's it's a lot different from you know Weber State playing Cal Poly, and if Weber State, you know, maybe thinks of Kennesaw as a Cal Poly t- style triple option, they might be exposed if they stack the box. Kennesaw State has the athleticism and speed to get to the outside. Um, plus their quarterback can throw if needed. So I do think Monmouth is the overall better team. They don't have all the elements that they have to face, but in terms of style matchups, I think they might have the better chance to upset Weber State over Monmouth upsetting James Madison. I think that's a really good Really good analogy, man. And Lawrence, why don't you just speak a little bit, uh, just purely with that Mammoth James Madison? Uh, do you see any chance for Mammoth to come in and win that game based off what you saw viewing them last week? This is going to sound, you know, like a like a biased fan and like a like a greedy asshole, like our best friend Kelsey would like to say, but absolutely not. I I have zero doubt in my mind that JMU is going to win this game. So I agree with everything Kyler said. If Kennesaw and Monmouth were playing head to head this week, I would take Monmouth every, you know, every day leading up to the game, but Monmouth is not beating JMU. Therefore Kennesaw state has the better chance to win their second round matchup. That wraps it up pretty perfectly, my friend. And on that note for Mr. Elijah Pierre, he does have a follow on question guys. He wants to know why is abbreviated such a long word? Lawrence, why is abbreviated such a long word in the English dictionary? Hey, Elijah, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. <laughs> oh, Kyler, do you have a, a response for Elijah on abbreviated being such a long and difficult word to say and spell? Yeah, because um, of the alphabet. So that's, that's the only answer I have, man. <laughs> Guys, we answer them all no matter what is posted. That's just how we do things around here. <laughs> So this is a good one, guys, from Keel Wilson. He wants to know, true or false, the best teams know how to win in spite of imperfect calls from the referees. Ooh, I'm sure Keo is talking about what is a highly contested uh, offensive pass interference call for the Villanova and Southeastern Louisiana game. If you guys didn't see it, Villanova is going for what is a game-winning touchdown, essentially. Uh, who knows the, what, for the quickness based off of how those offenses were scoring. Uh, but they amazing one-handed catch by the Villanova receiver only to be called back by what appears to be just an awful and non-existent offensive pass interference call. Uh, to answer Keo's question, is there a way to overcome imperfect calls like that from the referees to win the game? Uh, I'll start with you, Lawrence. What do you think? Do you think 
that's the whole story or, or, or how do you view what happened there? Well, the best way to avoid losing because of a blown call is to not give up 45 points if you're only planning on scoring 44. I like totally you score, <laughs> especially for a team like Villanova, who historically has had a very good defense. You should never lose a playoff game when you score 44 points. Absolutely never. I 100% agree with you, man. I just think if you put yourself into a position, I kind of compare it to where I'm like, well, why did this team miss the playoffs? Because you put yourself in a position where now something small gives the committee a decision, you know? And I'm not saying the refs, I'm not saying this is the same thing in terms of like the refs get to make a decision, but you've already given up 40 plus points and now we're in crunch time and it can come down to anything, a missed call, uh, a wrong call. It can come down to a bad timeout, a bad review. So many factors. You, I mean, you gave up so many points in that game. Villanova's defense was playing awful. Um, I, I tend not to believe that one call is the whole story. Kyler, do you agree or do you think one thing can totally shift it all? I say a majority of the time, yes, I agree. You know, the better team wins despite any bad calls. I kind of put a similar analogy in there like um, you used with Villanova, which makes sense because this is an FCS podcast. I use an NFL one. But I was like, the only time it really matters if there's a huge bad call is if it can ultimately affect the very last play of the game, like the Saints-Rams NFC Championship game last year, where there was 100% a huge missed call that won the Rams a game. It was that non-PI when he hit the receiver, you know, five yards before the ball got there, like pretty aggressively. And it was, it was easy to see, but at the same time, I'm leaning towards what the saints didn't do enough earlier in the game to win that game, to, you know, put it down to that one drive. So is it unfortunate that sometimes a call can lose you a game? Yes, it, it definitely can. But at the same time, like, the good old Dana White says in the UFC, don't leave it up to the decision, you know, the, the referees, the decision. Don't leave it up to the committee. End the fight if you can. You know, sometimes you got to punch a team in the mouth early, get a good lead, so then you can miss those blown calls because unfortunately they happen. It, JMU shouldn't have let it come down to a questionable Riley Stapleton fumble decision in the national championship game two years ago and Villanova shouldn't have let it come down to a questionable pass interference call. It happens. Yeah, it happens and it's unfortunate. Um, But, but yeah, a majority of the time, like I'm leaning towards 95% of the time, the better team will win despite some of the bad calls. Put it, put it down. That, that makes sense to me guys. All right. This one's going to be unique guys. Alex Glissman asked us from Twitter, actually, uh, he is a James Madison fan, and he wants to know if they have to re-examine the CAA being a part of the so-called Power 3 Conference in the FCS after the playoff losses the CAA keeps taking. We had a little back and forth on Twitter, and I told him, you know, the CAA has strength and blah, blah, blah. And his overall point, which he got me pretty good on, was, and this is a James Madison fan, was like, how come we have this double standard for, like, saying Jacksonville State holds up an entire conference and the rest of them would get killed when the CAA seems to be losing games left and right the last two years. That's what we were talking about. Um, so I'll start with you, Kyler, because you're kind of the outsider of it. And then Lawrence, you know, you're more of the CAA guy, so we'll get yours after. How do you view the CAA right now after the Nova loss and what happened last year with those six bids um, in comparison to the rest of the landscape in the FCS, Kyler? Well, well, for one, I, I don't think we can throw 
the CA and compare them to the OVC with Jacksonville State because Jacksonville State only had one successful postseason, and yet they've dominated the OVC but then lose a majority of the time in their first playoff game. So I think you can already scratch off that. That's not a double standard because the CAA has sent tons of teams to the semis every single year. You know, they, they're one of the last four teams standing every single year. But I think we can maybe um, compare them closer to the Southland in this year. I still think the CAA top to bottom is, is you know, better than the Southland. But what we have to learn, Alex Glissman, is in the big three, in the power three, there is a rotation. Um, you might not think of it because the CAA has been, you know, one of the top two teams since, you know, the 90s, really. It's It's been the CAA, um, the SOCON, and the Big Sky. And then um, when the powers left the SOCON, then the Missouri Valley kind of kicked into gear in the 2010s. So they've kind of been the standard for best conference of this decade. But the Big Sky has always been the third tier. And we've had Eastern Washington, who is holding up the rest of the conference. But the other, conf- you know, other team members, they'll get one playoff win. They'll get, they'll get others where, you know, as a Sam Houston State, that's the only team team in the Southland grabbing playoff wins. Um, but I, I think it's just now the CAA has regressed a little um, and the big sky Missouri Valley are continuing to get a little better. So I still think top to bottom, the CAA is, is among the top three, but right now they are three and they are not competing for the top two spot. So, um, but yeah, top to bottom, I, I still think you're better than the fourth best by a good margin re-evaluating the power three status of the CAA um, from James Madison and others. Lawrence, how do you view this from Mr. Alex Glissman? I think it's funny the way the narrative shifted basically on that pass interference call against Villanova because had Villanova won that game, everyone just would be saying, see, I told you so the power three, you know, Villanova won the game they were supposed to. Albany won the game they were supposed to. Illinois State won the game they were supposed to. Like, Then you know, we go and we get this super controversial pass interference call, and now it's like, oh, well, Villanova lost. They must suck. See, now the CAA sucks. I think, well, I think one it's thing... Also from last year's performance in the playoffs where they sent six in and then, you know, outside of... Maine, no other CAA team beat another non-CAA team. And that's fair. Um, I think one other thing that's sort of going against the CAA, is just a perception thing, and that the teams that used to be the bottom dwellers of the CAA have actually improved. So you're not seeing the same CAA teams that have traditionally been powers making the playoffs and making those deep runs every year, you know, like, UNH isn't always at the top of the conference anymore. Maine isn't always towards the top of the conference. Villanova, you know, Richmond, you know, we're getting Albany's up there who, you know, was picked 12th in the CAA preseason poll this year. They were supposed to finish dead last according to that. So, you know, they're a relatively unknown team. So people don't have that like strong perspective or, you know, perception of them yet. Now, Kyler, I want to ask you this. I wrote down this question Uh, when you were talking about Albany going to Montana State. If Albany wins that game, what is that going to do to change the perspective of how we look at the CAA this year? It won't change my perspective because I also don't think Montana State is really the fourth best team in the big sky, but I think they got the most favorable schedule out of everyone. You know, they actually didn't have to play Weber State. Um, and this may sound homerism, but I think we match up stylistically with them, and they didn't have to play Eastern as well. 
Um, I'm sure tons of people will argue with me on that one, but I think stylistically we match up. And then, you know, if they play those two teams, I think they lose. They're actually sitting outside the playoffs. Um, So I don't think it changes the perception because right now it's still the second best CAA team battling against the third best big sky. I don't, I wouldn't pick Albany over Weber. I wouldn't pick them over Montana and I wouldn't pick them over Sac State, if that makes sense. Unfortunately, Matthew Frazee, um, had to leave. We had some technical difficulties, so we're kind of recording in two different segments. So it's just Lawrence and myself for the rest of the day. Hope you, hope you guys don't mind, but we'll try our best to do our best Matthew Frazee impersonation as he is the best host that we have at FCS Fans Nation. So, Lawrence, are you ready to start it again with just you and myself, you know, going on to that next question? People listening to this one, because they're just going to be like, uh, all right. All right. Yeah, yeah, what the hell happened? <laughs> it was Monday, now it's Tuesday. Uh, so let's get into it again. <laughs> All right, so so Lawrence, with Nichols' first trip to Fargo, what must they do to remain competitive in this one? Do you see any strengths in the Colonials that will give them an advantage? You know, thanks, and go Colonials. That was from Cody Sanders. So Lawrence, do you have any answers for this question on how Nichols could potentially make it competitive versus NDSU or even come out with a W? Well, my first thing that I have to say is that your French isn't very good. That word is pronounced kernels, not colonials. Oh, oh, well, but I, at so, least I did uh, go right. Yeah, you got I go thought, right. I always thought they were the Nichols colonials. No, nope, they're the kernel kernels. Well, that's dumb. That is not there's no R in that. Screw France. I don't even like French food. I like French fries. That's true. I don't know if that's France, but we'll we'll deal so, with it. So what does Nichols need to do to remain competitive in the Fargo Dome? Um, The only chance any team has, doesn't matter if it's Nichols, doesn't matter if it's JMU, doesn't matter if it's Alabama, you got to control the line of scrimmage against, well, basically against anyone. Like offense and defense, that's how you win games, Uh, especially when you're going against a team like NDSU. Got to win in the trenches. Unfortunately, I don't see Nichols being able to do that. Uh, I don't think they're going to have many advantages in the Fargo Dome. So, uh, sorry, Cody. So so it's more like a good luck and pray? That's kind of the the hope you're giving them or the advice? Uh, <laughs> okay. We're going to go with the Hail Mary in, in more than one sense. Right. All right. So, so, Cody, I have a little bit, hopefully a better answer, you know, on maybe giving you guys some advantages. Now, it's up to you guys if the colonels, I got it right that time, can um, use these advantages to potentially win or make it competitive. Competitive, But the first thing you need to do is actually pressure Trey Lance. The teams that have put pressure on Trey have been able to keep the games within striking distance. And, you know, he actually hasn't been that successful um, when he's being pressured. He doesn't have enough time to screen the field with that limited time. Now that's going to be much harder said than than done because uh or yeah done than said because uh I've seen Nichols live for Sam Houston State and Sam Houston State's like their their line was significantly smaller than even Eastern's line and they were bullied um, they were bullying Nichols you know on both sides of the ball so unfortunately I don't see, see you guys being able to put that much pressure on Trey Lance um, then the last thing you need to do is not turn over the ball which that's actually been something Nichols has not done too well. You guys have turned the ball over 23 times, which puts you guys in the bottom 20 of the SCS. Um, and 
you do not want to give NDSU any extra opportunities to score by turning over the bottle. So you need to limit your turnovers and you need to put pressure on the QB. Those are your only hopes to making it competitive. If you can't do any of those or even both of those together, it's going to be a long day for Nichols. Yeah, NDSU is going to score enough as it is. You really don't want to give them free chances. Yeah, and and then being ranked, I believe it was like one on one in the FCS and turnovers. That's not a good sign. Um, but hey, all it takes is one game, play a perfect game, and anyone can lose in the playoffs. And literally, the entire country would thank you. We would all start rooting for Nichols. <laughs> so, so Brandon Owens, our OVC Jacksonville State guy, Cocky Nation podcast, he has a two part OVC question. Part one. Do you think Illinois State took out their anger from the Youngstown State loss on SEMO? No, I think Illinois State was just the better team. Uh, even with the the injuries that they've had at quarterback, you know, their running game is so strong, and, and we really saw it against SEMO. I, I don't think they were focused on anything except for winning a playoff game. I don't think they had Youngstown in their minds at all. Yeah, I, I'm going to absolutely agree with you. I just don't think SEMO was a top-tier team, and they showed that when they traveled to Montana State and lost by 21. Um, SEMO this year was an above-average team, but that's all they were, unfortunately. So I don't think Youngstown or Illinois State took out their anger on them. I just think they were the better overall team, and it showed when SEMO played top-tier teams. Um, so we're in agreement there. Their, their second part question with Sac State playing their first playoff game ever next week, is it possible that they'll let Austin P keep it close and, you know, even potentially win? I might add that the first simulator app has Sac State winning 38-18. to 18. Um, Do you think Austin P can keep it close, man? Well, you're our big sky guy on this podcast, and you're going to be more familiar with Sac State than I am, so why don't you take the lead on this one? All right. Um, I actually do think they can keep it close. Um, do I think Austin P is going to win? No, I don't think they will, but if they can somehow contain Kevin Thompson, get him out of his rhythm or his game plan, then you absolutely have a shot. That offense is 100% focused around him. He sets up the running game. He sets up the passing. He is a very mobile dual threat quarterback and under Troy Taylor's system. Um, it, it's very Eastern-like, um, their offensive system. So if you can contain the quarterback, you, can, you definitely have a shot. Get him out of his rhythm early. Make him maybe throw some bad decisions or um, do something like that. But that is the way to keep it close. If you let Kevin Thompson be Kevin Thompson, you are going to struggle in this game. Do you have anything to add to that? Very nicely said. I don't have anything to add. Awesome. All right. So is there any room for a breakdown of you and I versus South Dakota state number two? That's that's by Joshua Hoffman. Um, I, I was going to hope Matt was going to take the lead on this one. Here's what I wrote, and we'll see what you have. Um, but basically, I just said these two teams are very familiar with each other. You know, they pretty much play each other every single year besides some rare occurrences every eight years where they might not see each other. Um, South Dakota State put a beat down on them earlier in the season, but now South Dakota State is super injured. Uh, then I wrote, I'll let Matt take it from here. <laughs> but I, I do think this time around, since they do know each other, South Dakota State's very injured. I think you'll be more competitive, but at the same time, I saw you and I really struggle offensively against San Diego. And I think South Dakota state has a much better defense than San Diego. So now I'm not, now I'm not positive on who's going to be able to win this game. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you and I saw the same thing. Um, and 
and that is me saying you and I, like Kyler and Lars, not you and I. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, you and I actually saw the same thing too. San Diego yeah. gave him I a fight. I think Kyler and Lawrence <laughs> saw the same thing. Uh, you and I's offense just didn't click at all versus San Diego. You know, maybe the injuries to South Dakota State are going to keep it closer, but I still have South Dakota State winning this game. Yeah, I, I think they will. Um, one thing I will say, though, is you and I's defense played really well against San Diego. And San Diego, you know, I get their Pioneer League team, but they actually do have a really good offense, and their quarterback is decent. Uh, Reed Sinnott, you know, he is, uh, I probably butchered his last name, but he, you know, he's a top five Walter Payton candidate, in my opinion, uh, from what he was able to do this year. Like to hold them to no touchdowns and I think just two field goals, you and I did a very good job defensively but they need to figure out their offense if they want to have another shot at say, uh, South Dakota state. Yeah, absolutely agree. hundred percent. So Alan Avidal, Avidale, something like that. You can butcher me on the page, Alan. Um, if I butchered your last name, which I totally did. So don't worry about it. But he asks, will the big sky go four and zero this weekend? I'm going to let you take it first. And then, you know, I'll give you my opinion. All right. So let's break it down. Weber state is playing. Okay. Kennesaw. Yep. That's a win. Montana State's playing um, Albany. That game's that's going to be a good game, actually. Um, I think that will be a very good game. I am going to go ahead and take Montana State, though. So 2-0 already. Okay. Um, Sac State is playing Austin P, which I actually think this is a better game than most people are giving it credit for. Uh, yes, but I'm still... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super confident in Austin P uh, I'll take Sac state. And then Montana is playing. Um, They're playing Southeastern Louisiana. Oh yeah. At, in, in Southeastern Louisiana has looked really good when playing good teams. Um, I'm actually going to say that Montana wins this one pretty comfortably. Uh, Southeastern Louisiana being in Missoula you know, it's going to be cold. The crowd's going to be crazy. I think Montana's got a, a good home field advantage and they've got a good team as well. Um, I think Montana will win that one pretty comfortably. So in summary, yes, I believe the big guy will go for and I mean, so the big sky, they definitely, all the teams hold the huge advantages um, over everyone who's traveling. You know, you have a couple Southern teams traveling out West and in the mountains. Um, that's going to be tough for a Southern team to adapt to. And I mean, looking at the teams on paper, I would say if all these games were played 10 times, the big sky would definitely win a majority of them. But since there's already been a lot of upsets in round one, I'm going to go with an upset. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm leaning towards Albany versus Montana state, but I'm not sold either. So I will say three and one, but it's, it's more just me hoping for chaos and I don't have any reasoning behind why I'm going to pick it, but I just think there's going to be an upset somewhere and I'm hoping it's one of the big sky schools that get upset. Um, so I'm rooting for the underdogs. They have a really good chance to go four and zero, but I am going three and one. Yeah. I think like we mentioned, if anyone has a chance to, to win against a big sky team, it's going to be Albany this week. I think Kennesaw also has a decent shot. I won't bet on them, um, and by decent, I'm not going to say it's a 50, 50 game. I will lean more towards Weber, but I, I think they have a shot. Um, I think everyone has a shot to be honest. 
It's just not a great shot. I've still got Weber like 80% confidence in that game. I'm I'm not really concerned, but if, you know, if Kennesaw plays a, a perfect game and kind of catches Weber on their toes a little bit, yeah, I guess I could see it, but um, I'm I'm really pretty confident in Weber State this weekend. Yeah, I mean, if I had a bet on all the teams playing this weekend, I would totally put money on every single Big Sky team. But maybe it's just me in my heart rooting against most of the Big Sky because I am not the type of guy who's, um, you know, I will take off my Big Sky hat and root for chaos over anyone from my conference. I don't have that loyalty as some of the conference members do. I just don't. If my team's not in there, I could care less about my conference. <laughs> so I'm just rooting for chaos, and I hope one of them gets upset. I don't know who it's going to be, but they they do have all the advantages to go for now. Hey, maybe you'll get super lucky and they'll go 0 and 4. I would not hate it. Let's bring the Big Sky back down to the third best overall conference. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so Brandon Anderson asks, "What is the biggest takeaways from your Thanksgiving dinner?" So, guys, sometimes we we answer all these random ones, and we like it. So, Lawrence, what'd you have for Thanksgiving? What was your biggest takeaway from the from the day? Oh, my biggest takeaway, um, and I've known this for three or four years now since since we started doing it, but fried turkey is way better than anything you could ever make in the oven. So I believe it. Yeah, um, deep, fried, deep fried turkey. Uh, you got to get it gets injected with uh, Southern Creole butter. And uh, ooh. oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that sounds better than. I had Bucky's um, beef jerky quite a bit for Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I went to the Dallas Cowboys game. So we road tripped up there that morning, went to the football game, then came back that same night because Kelsey had to work the next day. So we, <laughs> for my biggest takeaway was Bucky's beef jerky in Texas is still the best beef jerky I've ever had. They're sweet and hot. It's pretty good. But other than that, I did not have a Thanksgiving dinner this year, guys. I know I'm a party pooper, but I don't care. Football was way more fun. So, since you've seen it in person, uh, if JMU and NDSU make it to the championship, should they move the game to Jerry World? Absolutely not. <laughs> that stadium is so massive. Now, like, what what's crazy is the Texas State Football Championship is played at Jerry World, and they bring, like, 80,000, 85,000 to the 6A championships, which is insane. I don't think our your guys' two colleges could do that if they wanted but if they shut down the whole top section, it would be pretty cool um, just to have the bottom of Jerry's World with those two teams. Like that would actually be pretty cool. But um, I actually like the Toyota Center, man. I know Toyota Stadium, whatever you want to call it. I actually really dig it. A lot of people hate it because they think it's a soccer stadium. It does not feel like a soccer stadium when there's two football te- football teams playing in that stadium. Yeah, I think the people that complain about it being a soccer stadium, for the most part, are people that haven't been to the to any of the games. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It's a very clean stadium. The seats are comfy. Um, I love well, the Toyota. And, and stadium. I'll also say that last year was much nicer um, once they finished the renovation than the previous two years. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like JMU fans that only went uh, the year that it was under construction and like the entire end zone was closed. Like, yeah, okay. I guess I can see why you think it's a dumpy stadium, but like go back this year and, and it's much improved. JMU nation. I'm, I'm telling you. It was awesome. 
Um, I would love to have that stadium in Cheney. I think it's a great stadium. I don't care if it's a soccer stadium. When there's football being played on it, it looks and feels like an amazing football game. Any stadium that is in, that is closed in on at least three sides, uh, I'm a fan of. And that one's yep. cool because it's, it's dug down into the ground, so it is literally a bowl. Yeah, I think it's awesome. So people need to stop complaining. We like it. They bid it. We're happy. Um, all right. This one is from Tyler, and I do not have his last name. It was not on the sheet. Um, so I am sorry, Tyler, one of you out there on the page. Thank you for asking this question. But Lawrence, you are kind of in the South. You know, Virginia's in that. You guys call it the South. Everywhere else, we call it, you know, the East Coast. Uh, <laughs> but do you think you can make another power conference from teams from the South? I don't think you can make one with just teams from the South. Um, I mean, there are there are definitely teams down there that would be a good addition to some of the other power conferences, like Jacksonville State, Kennesaw, um, you know, even your like Sam Houston's of the world. But I don't think I don't think there's a good spot for uh you know to put all of them in one conference and have enough teams if if we're only talking about those uh, now if you wanted to like combine the best teams of the southland the socon and the ovc plus so that's what i you think know, he's talking about maybe well yeah but you would have to fill it out with like some mediocre to lower tier teams because there aren't enough strictly power teams down there to to make a full like 10 or 12 team conference well i think if you're even including you know the miac then then you can do something pretty big um i'm gonna say you could absolutely make a stacked conference that would be considered a power conference from the south um unfortunately with that though i still don't see a lot of teams being able to compete for championships so or the top tier of the valley ca even big sky so i would say yes you can make a super stacked power conference out of the southern teams um, you, they could potentially be five to six bid conferences every single year, but yet have no one in the semifinals. I think that is a huge possibility. It could be the best conference top to bottom, but it would still lack the, the title contenders. Is that really, you know, if you don't ever get a team to the semifinals, can you really call yourself a, a power conference though? I mean, if you have four of the eight spots in the quarterfinals, I would say, yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> The way I see it, you know, I see the talk on our page about these individual teams that we're talking about. Uh, you know, if, if they all went out in the quarterfinals, same people talking about, oh, see, you know, this conference is just a bunch of paper tigers. They don't actually compete with the top and they, they wouldn't get that respect. I don't think. Now, I, yeah, I mean, that could be a thing. Now, I will say, I think the teams in there's a lot of teams in the South that have potential to increase their recruiting. Um, they can get better players. They can be more competitive if they were in a more competitive conference. Cause I do feel like that is the, the knock on, let's say the Gonzaga's of the world who they dominate their conference and they get in the postseason and they're not challenged enough. So they don't play up to that level of competition when they get into those deep rounds, having a conference where you can play up to that level of competition, almost playoff teams every week, it will prep you better. And then we could see some pretty decent title teams coming out of the South. Uh, would you maybe buy that? Yeah, I would buy that. I would also say that Gonzaga's football team is terrible. Hey, you know what? My buddy has a Gonzaga football shirt, and it is awesome. 
I don't know if it was a. Let me guess. Let me guess because I think uh, I think there's a school in Virginia that probably has a very similar shirt. I'm gonna guess it says Gonzaga football undefeated since whatever year the school was founded. Um, so it was undef. No, because Gonzaga used to have a football team and they used to play Eastern Washington, Washington State, all these schools. Uh, but after World War II, they stopped housing the football team. So they can't claim that they are undefeated. But I think it was a misprint, um, to be honest, because it was like a 50% off sale at um, Foot Locker one, one year. I think they meant to do Gonzaga basketball shirts, but somehow they ordered Gonzaga football. Um, so it was awesome. A couple people bought them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. VCU of Final Four fame a couple years yeah. ago a few years ago now uh they don't have a football team they've never had a football gotcha team. and they have so undefeated their student body has t-shirts <laughs> that say like vcu football undefeated since like whatever year the the school was founded oh i love it i love it um hey so so now we're gonna actually talk about the nfl a little bit since we talked about college basketball nfl everything um brett evans asked who are the super bowl picks now, you're a big Patriots fan. Are you still going to pick Tom Brady, even though he might have fallen off that cliff? You know, I have a hard time. If you had asked me like three or four <laughs> weeks ago, I just said, absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, and I don't even think it's so much that the Patriots are falling off. Because, like, yes, that is true. But I still think they are better than most of the AFC. With that being said, man, the Ravens look good. Yeah, they do. They're getting better every week. So, uh if you're asking me right now, I would have to say uh, I, I would take the Ravens coming out of the AFC and probably the Niners or the Seahawks coming out of the NFC. Yeah, I, I wrote down Ravens and Seattle or San Francisco. I think the Packers could make a run if they were in Lambeau throughout January, but it looks like they will have to travel to Seattle or San Francisco. So they'll lose on the road to one of those teams. And I think, yeah, San Francisco's defense is nasty. Uh, I'm going to lean more towards San Francisco, but Seattle with Russell Wilson, how he's playing right now, they have a shot too, and they beat San Francisco. Man, I, I think it's going to be those. It's, it's just crazy that the Ravens have already beat both of these teams too. Ravens are looking unstoppable and right now. They're, what I saw today, that there are five NFL teams that are 10-2. and two. And the Ravens have beaten like three or four of them. Yeah, they've beaten. I, I think the Ravens have beaten because the, they beat the, the, the Seahawks, the Niners, and the Patriots. Yep. Yeah, they, so. they beat all the 10, 10 win teams because I think the other ones are nine wins. Packers, they have nine wins. Um, yeah, the Ravens, and they're getting better every week. They had like two bad games in the beginning of the season, and now they're just crushing everyone. They're fun to watch. I am rooting for the Ravens. Just just because I dislike Tom Brady and the Patriots, so I'm <laughs> sorry, buddy. But I'm rooting for a change in the AFC, and I hope it's the Ravens, even though I think the Ravens will beat anyone in the NFC this year. Well, it, that wouldn't even be a, really a change in the AFC because since like 2003, the Ravens are the only team to, to go to the Super Bowl that haven't been quarterbacked by Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, or Peyton Manning. In the AFC. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say the Steelers or, or the Colts or Broncos. That's about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Good old Joe Flacco. Um so speaking of Joe Flacco, didn't he go to Delaware? He did go to Delaware. The next question I believe is from a Delaware fan. 
Joe Gass. I'm pretty sure he's Delaware. You're correct. Okay. So um, he says, do you think a school that uses tents for visiting locker rooms should be able to host a playoff game? Now, this was pretty controversial on our page, and it lasted like four days. So so he's asking. He wants us to actually um, comment about this, since I don't think a lot of us made comments on the actual thread. So, Lawrence, what's your position on this? I think a team that outbids their opponent should be able to host a playoff game. Yeah, I am 100% agreeing with you. I don't think we have to spend too much time on this. I literally wrote this. Yes, if a team bids more, they should host. UND should just be more embarrassed that one of the poorest teams in the FCS with one of the lower enrollments outbid them. The UND AD, former Eastern Washington AD, should be ashamed of himself. That's what I wrote, and I love it. So, (laughs) yeah, UND, guess what? Step it up. Put more money down. If you're worried about someone hosting without locker rooms, Bid the money. Nichols did. Why can't you? You're more rich than Nichols. So I like it. Good for Nichols, and I'm glad they won. All righty, guys. Well, we had another technical difficulty, and unfortunately, I'm the only one that's left. So uh, because you guys don't want to sit here and listen to me ramble on by myself, we're kind of just going to end the episode here. Uh, There was one more question that I just wanted to give a, a quick answer to. Chris Edmonds asked us, assuming there are no major upsets this weekend, who will play under the lights on Friday the 13th, hoping it's my JMU Dukes? Well, Chris, you must have missed it because uh, a couple weeks ago we found out that for the quarterfinals this year, there aren't going to be any Friday night games. So unfortunately, we won't be seeing the JMU Dukes play on Friday night. All four of those quarterfinal games are going to be on Saturday. Anyways, guys, sorry about the abbreviated episode this week. Uh, something about the the internet uh once we get towards the end of the season i don't know if it's because it's cold or what oh we this happened to us last year a couple of times as well just the way it is sometimes but we apologize and we'll be back next week thanks as always for listening make sure you like uh this podcast and and rate us on whichever app you use whether it's itunes google podcast spotify give us that five-star rating um help us grow the podcast and reach a broader audience next week. Uh, look for the posts to submit your questions to be featured on this podcast and, uh, good luck to your teams. If you're still playing this week and hope you guys have a great week.